Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, welcome to the First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're joining us wherever you are. Those that are listening, those that are watching, Christian radio, etc., you're always welcome. We thank you for tuning in. We're going to continue on in our study in the book of First Timothy, the letter from the Apostle Paul to young Pastor Timothy. Lots of instructions for him, lots of advice from his mentor, the Apostle. And not just for Timothy, it's a lot of good advice for us believers as well. It's very practical. So we're going to finish 1 Timothy chapter 5 today. And we're going to be reading from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. And in the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Amen. May God give us understanding of his word this morning. Let's open in a word of prayer then. Heavenly Father, again, we're so grateful for your word. Help instruct us today, teach us not just uh, instructions to Pastor Timothy, but also enlighten us regarding these passages of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are some handouts in your bulletin if you want to follow along and read those and began the all the answers are in the message because those of you watching and listening can't do that only those that are here 
title of this message today is Regarding the Pastors. Regarding the Pastors. I was going to entitle it Pastor to Pastor because it really is uh, from the Apostle Paul, an elder, another name for pastor, to young pastor, Timothy. So the Apostle begins this section to his letter. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Elders, probably know by now, means the pastors, the overseers, or leaders in the church, the one who leads, the one who directs. Very important position, because if a pastor leads well, then the church will do well. Amen? the pastor leads well, then the church will do well. I must admit, it's a little, uh, not weird, but uh, awkward talking about the attributes of pastors when I am one. But we'll let the uh, scriptures interpret themselves. Amen? Paul says, the elders are worthy of double honor, meaning twice as much honor so what's the first honor that the elders are worthy of? Number one, pastors should be respected because of their position. Regardless whether you like them or not, they've been called by God to be his servants. We know there's many people in the pulpit that shouldn't be there that are not called by God. But it's God that does the ordaining to a true born-again, Bible-believing, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching pastor. It's God that does the calling. It's God that does the ordaining. Anybody can be ordained. You know, you just have to go online and pay 50 bucks, and you can be ordained, and you can, you know, marry a couple just to get that squared away. But uh, being ordained by God is a different story. So they deserve to be honored because of their position, which is the highest calling on the face of the earth because they've been called by God. Amen? Higher than any president, higher than any king because they are chosen vessels to proclaim God's word, to proclaim God's truth. So that's one good reason to honor pastors. Amen? Number two, well, let's read First Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, he says, we urge you, he's talking to Christians, he's writing to Christians in Thessalonica. I'm glad I got my teeth in to say that. We urge you to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. For their work's sake. Double honor. Especially those who work at preaching and teaching, Timothy says. Those who labor in word and doctrine. Someone who's never had to prepare a sermon, which is probably the majority here, they don't know the effort or the many hours of time it takes 
to study and prepare a message to present to be presented correctly. I read an amusing story about one pastor. You know, he believed in living by faith, which he ought to do, but he never prepared during the week. He's going to totally rely on the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's good. Let's call him Fred, Pastor Fred. He never prepared a sermon during the week. When every Sunday came around, he would sit on the platform while the church was singing the hymns, desperately praying to the Lord, Lord, give me a message. Give me the sermon. Lord, please give me the message. And then he heard the voice of the Lord and says, Fred, here's my message to you. You're lazy. Oh, oh. So, number one, pastors are worthier on it because of their calling from God. Number two, what's the second in the double honor command regarding pastors? They're supposed to be supported, not just uh, by our prayers and affirmative action, but also supported financially. Why? Because of their labor of love. Communicating the truth of God's word to God's flock. That's what it says. And Paul says, and he quotes Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, written by Moses. Deuteronomy 25, 4 it says, For the scripture says, You must not muzzle an ox, while it treads out the grain. You know what a muzzle is. You put muzzles on dogs that are likely to bite us. Or don't muzzle an ox. The principle here is that when a farmer brought oxen into the threshing floor to work and grind and separate the wheat from the chaff, the farmer was prohibited from muzzling the animal. Right? Why? So the oxen were able to eat as they worked. They were being rewarded for their hard work, for their labor. So although uh, pastors being compared to an oxen may not be very flattering. You see my horns? No. Pastors are also called full-time service, leading preaching, teaching, and they have the right to be financially supported by the church. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Amen? Yet many people in the church have no idea what a pastor does with his time to earn his wages, apart from just preaching on Sundays. And someone says correctly, a pastor has to learn before he can teach. But before he does, he has to search the scriptures and study in God's classroom. 
A pastor is like a doctor because he heals by his words without prescribing pills. He is sometimes a counsellor, a lawyer, a psychiatrist, a social worker, an editor, a bit of a philosopher and entertainer, a salesman, a front man for public functions, he baptizes the saved and supposed to be a scholar. He visits the sick, marries people, buries the dead, he comforts the dying, he consoles those who are sorrowful, and admonishes those who sin, and tries to stay calm when criticized. He plans programs, he recommends committee members, and he has to be a diplomat. Between times, he has to live his own life, spend time with his family, prepares a sermon and preaches it, never knowing if anyone would show up to hear it. And smiles. When someone says, I wish I had your job, you only have to work one hour a week. <laughs> See, piece of cake, isn't it? Piece of cake. Now, in verses 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy regarding other pastors. So it's pastor to pastor regarding other pastors. What about them? He says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder, pastor, unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning are to be reproved before everyone so that the others may take warning. So Paul says no accusation against the church leader is to be considered true unless confirmed by at least two or three witnesses. It's a safe rule that private sins should be dealt with privately between us individuals and the Lord, amen? Between the pastor and God, because believe it or not, I do sin, like you do. It's neither right nor necessary to make what is private go public. It's between the individual and God, amen? However, if a church leader brings disrepute on the name of Christ because of his obvious sinful behavior, it's got to be dealt with. First of all, it has to be proved. Then, if it is, he needs to step down and then his indiscretions publicly exposed to the church, to the whole congregation. Why? He says, to be a warning to others not to do the same thing. Right? To be an example of not what to do. Okay? And Paul says in verse 20, keep these instructions without partiality. It doesn't matter if you like the guy, 
It doesn't matter if he's your mentor. It doesn't matter if he's a great preacher, a great teacher, that everybody loves him. You've got to be impartial. Keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. You treat everyone the same way, whether they're a pastor or not. Judgments and decisions made by a pastor regarding another pastor have to be done with an honest appraisal of all the facts. Eliminating any preconceived ideas or prejudice either for or against anyone who is accused of wrongdoing. You've got to get all the facts first. So Timothy is to treat everyone in the church fairly and not to show favoritism. Amen? Now regarding those who desire to be a pastor, it's a good thing to desire to be a pastor, but unless you're called by God, don't even bother trying. Regarding those who want to become pastors, what's the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy? Because he may have to ordain men who want to become pastors, all right? So they've got to qualify. And Paul says in verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And this is a reference to the process. And you've seen pastors that have been ordained, the other pastors that are invited to the ordination service, they lay their hands upon them. This is what it's referring to. The process of ordaining a man into the ministry. And I say a man. We've already covered that. But I'll say it again. First, the candidate must be thoroughly screened. Thoroughly screened. You don't just put a Tom, Dick or Harriet in the pulpit. It shouldn't be there. They have to qualify. They have to be thoroughly screened, examined before being appointed as a minister. In other words, Paul's telling Timothy, before proposing a candidate, a would-be pastor for the ministry, he's saying, look, don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Refrain from rash judgments. Amen? Refrain from rash judgments. And he, say, he goes on to say, do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, regardless of what other people may do. And we know a lot of famous uh, evangelical preachers have fallen into sin. And we don't judge them. Because they're by, but by the grace of God go I. He says, regardless of what they do, don't share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. The Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, it says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Okay? For if we would judge ourselves, 
we should not be judged. So when a Christian sins, it's not if a Christian sins, it's when a Christian sins, either in our minds, in our hearts, or in our bodies, our motives, our attitudes, what we should do, we judge ourselves. We don't beat ourselves up. We judge ourselves. We confess that sin to God. And then we turn from it. We turn from it. And if we keep going back to it, then we haven't truly repented. That old darling sin that we don't want to give up. We don't turn from it. We've never repented. So we either judge ourselves or God will judge us. Amen. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Well, who does the judging? Again, 1 Corinthians 11.32. But when we are judged, we are chastened or disciplined by the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know, th therefore, there, there is now no longer any condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So we're not condemned. Our sins have been dealt with on the cross. All right? But we do sin, so we have to confess that sin. We need to judge ourselves. And if we don't, then God's going to judge us. Let me explain. Verse 24, it says, The sins of some are obvious. See, we've got eyes. We know what's going on. We know what people do. The sins are obvious, okay? But other sins that no one else knows about except God. All right? Because God looks upon the heart, man looks on the outward appearance. So we may be fooling some people, but we're not fooling God. Some sins are obvious, he says. Reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind. What does he mean? Sometimes judgment will come on this earth for the sins committed. Even for believers. Well, why would you say that? Because it's true. Remember when in the first century, when the Christians were taking the Lord's Supper. They were doing it in an unworthy manner. Amen? They were getting drunk. And they were eating the food, you know, like being gluttons. They were gluttonous. And Paul says, because of that, some of you are sick, and some of you sleep. In other words, died. So if that's not judgment from God, what is? Because they were doing that in an unworthy manner. Number two, what about uh, in Acts chapter 5? A couple... Christians, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, they lied to Peter, but they were lying to the Holy Spirit. They were keeping something back that belonged to the Lord. They were being selfish. Amen? What did God do? Strike them dead. Were they believers? Yes. Yes. Sin, sins, will be dealt with, well, they're already dealt with on the cross. 
But when we must appear before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, it's then we will give an account for the things that we've done in this body since we've been saved. And you can read that, jot it down, in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. We're going to be we're going to stand before the Lord. It's there we'll either be rewarded for being faithful to God's commands, or we're going to lose rewards for being unfaithful to the Lord. Again, jot down First Corinthians chapter three, verses ten through fifteen. But the good news is, we won't be punished for our sins. Aren't you glad? I am. But I'm not necessarily looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. Because we have to give an account for the things that we've done since we've been saved. But we're not going to be punished for those sins. Why? Because Jesus took our punishment that we deserve on the cross. Amen? He took the punishment that we deserve. We won't have to give an account for those sins. It's about rewards. It's about being faithful. You're faithful by being here this morning. And we'll be rewarded accordingly. God's keeping accounts. All right? That's what it's all about. So, he goes on to another subject. Timothy's stomach problems. Young, young man, who knows? What, you know, he could have had Crohn's disease or he could have gastroenteritis issues, obviously. Um, verse 23, Paul gives Timothy some medical advice. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. So he had a problem. Can't we all do? We've got different medical issues. Timothy's was his stomach. Now this is not, a, we've already covered this, and this is not a debate uh, about the rights and, and wrongs of consuming alcohol. It's about drinking wine for medicinal purposes, right? If you listen to the messages, you know we've already covered this. It's about drinking wine for medicinal purposes. It was common knowledge in the ancient world that wine had some medicinal value. And the water wasn't always safe to drink, not like it is today. So Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine to help with his stomach problems. That's simple. It's nothing new. It's obvious. He's not saying drink wine to get drunk. Why wouldn't he say that? Because getting drunk is a sin. Amen? He's telling Timothy that he needs to take care of his physical health. 
like we all do. So he can continue to minister to his flock without being laid aside due to his illness. Sometimes pastors are laid aside due to sickness. It's happened to me frequently. Fortunately, I have uh, some people that can fill in for me. No one is indispensable. Nobody. Except the Lord. Amen. So finally, last verse. He goes on. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. What on earth is he talking about? Sometimes people can see God rewards some believers down here for doing good deeds in his service. We're rewarded, amen, for doing service to the Lord. And that's obvious to other people. Boy, God is really blessing that person because of what is service or her service to the Lord. That's perfectly obvious. But it's not always obvious the works, the good deeds that people do. But who's keeping account? God. God is keeping account. He sees the things that we do. Jesus says, even if you give a glass of water, not a glass, but water, he says. I assume it's in some container. <laughs> even if you give some, a water, drink a water to somebody, it's like giving it on for the Lord. And you'll be rewarded. You'll be blessed for doing that. If it's done with the right motive. Not just to, just to gain rewards and get a pat on the back by other people saying, what a good person I am. Look what I do. They really need to know that I'm a good guy. Other believers, the good deeds that they do is not always obvious. But, like I say, God's keeping the score. And they'll have to wait, you'll have to wait, till you get to heaven to receive your reward. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Isn't it? I would think so. We're going to be rewarded. It's like looking forward to Christmas. Only a thousand times better. You look forward to Christmas, unless you open the presents before, like some of you do, or some of you already know what you're going to get. But if you're a, a little child, you don't want to know what you're going to get. You just can't wait for Christmas to come. And then you open those presents and you get rewarded. Something to look forward to. We'll never know what we're going to get on Christmas Day. And one day God will reward us for being faithful to him. Because we don't know the, kind, the rewards we're going to get. The Bible talks a little bit about those and Timothy will, or Paul will explain that to Pastor Timothy later on regarding the crowns and all that. But we, we don't know what kind of rewards we're going to get really until we get there. So it's something to look forward to. Amen? All right. Now let me close 
need a couple of groceries if I can find it. Should be able to, right? Ephesians chapter 4, you don't need to turn to it. Just thought it'd be nice to round things off. All right, I'm going to read the chap- Ephesians chapter 4 regarding the pastors. All right, let's read verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captivities in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want to read the whole thing. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful to be here. We thank you for your word. I hope and pray that it would be clear and understandable and an encouragement to us. And uh, Help us as believers to do the good works that you have prepared for those of us beforehand to do, not to gain any credit for ourselves, but to be done with the right motives, because we love you and we desire to be faithful to you and give us that desire and help us to uh, honor those that deserve it. May I address those of you that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can and you must. If you want to be saved, you want to be forgiven of your sins, then you must receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You must believe. And he did. He died for you on that cruel cross. He shed his sinless blood. He was your substitute. He took the punishment 
the sins that you have committed on his own body. He became sin for every one of us. He became sin for you. He took the fall from you. He took the punishment that you deserve. And if you believe that, and you call upon his name to save you, you believe he died on the cross for you because he loves you, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead, and he is alive, he is Lord. If you believe that in your heart, then tell somebody you believe that. That confirms what you believe in your heart. And then call upon Jesus to save you. And that's a promise that he'll keep because he's never broken a promise yet. For those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. I hope and pray that you do that and then get into a, a church where they teach and preach and believe the Bible and grow in your faith and in the knowledge of the Lord. And tell others about Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you and hope to see you soon. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.